The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Filato on Football. I am Nick Filato, the host here on Big Blue View Radio, the platform on SB Nation. Tomorrow is September, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, how insane is that to think about? I mean, what an erratic year it's been. But September is usually marked with either going back to school, maybe it's the start of pumpkin spice season for some, I don't know. Most importantly, we all know this, it marks the beginning of the NFL regular season. And the Chiefs-Texans, September 10th, that Thursday, it's not far away at all. It's fantasy season, there's so many drafts going on, and there's constantly new football news every day. And yet again, we have another big transaction to talk about to lead this show off with, and that is Yannick Ngakwe, who has finally been shipped out of town in Jacksonville. The disgruntled 25-year-old pass rusher was just traded to the Minnesota Vikings for two picks, 2021 second round pick and a 2022 conditional fifth round pick that can become a fourth round pick if Ngakwe is a first ballot Pro Bowl player this season. And it can become a third round pick if he accomplishes that same feat and the Vikings win the Super Bowl. So it's on your shoulders, Kirk Cousins, to rise above and win this Super Bowl. And this defense, man, it's gonna it's gonna be really, really good, this Minnesota Vikings defense. And they slipped up a little bit last year. Towards the end of the season, they weren't as effective. And they lose guys like Trey Waynes, who ended up going to Cincinnati and he ended up suffering an injury, but they're able to draft someone like Jeff Gladney. At the end of the first round this past year, a very talented cornerback out of TCU, and they have Mike Hughes, who they drafted in the first round out of UCF back in 2018. They also got Cameron Dantzler out of Mississippi State in the third round this past draft, and he fixes to kind of be into that mix as well. Same as Harrison Hand, kid out of Temple, who's really, really aggressive in run support and caught my eye during the pre-draft process. So they're a little young at the cornerback position, but what was important, they were able to retain Anthony Harris, who was a very talented safety. They still have Harrison Smith. They were able to retain Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks, and now they were able to replace Everson Griffith with Yannick Ngakwe, and I think that is an important part of this whole puzzle because Mike Zimmer defenses are usually predicated on having two really stud pass rushers. I mean, if you go back to his time back when it was like Brian Robinson and Jared Allen, players like that before Daniel Hunter, there was always two really stud pass rushers, and they kind of fed off of each other, but this past year... With Everson Griffin going to Dallas, they're not resigning Everson Griffin. The Vikings looked like all they had was Daniel Hunter. They got guys like Anthony Zettel on the bench. Now, Anthony Zettel's solid against the run, but he's not that kind of pass rusher. They drafted DJ Wanham and Kenny Willekes, two guys who aren't going to have that big of an impact. And the player that was going to start 
was going to be Odenigbo Ayafeti, who was a seventh-round pick back in 2017. So now that you get Yannick Ngakwe for a lower price relative to what was being pitched out a couple months ago, I mean, good on Mike Zimmer and good on this defense to kind of shore up that pass rush, something that they're really going to need because they're going to miss, like before this trade, I was they're going to really miss Everson Griffin. They're going to miss that skill set and that talent, and I hate that he's in the Giants division right now with Dallas, who really built a really fine defensive line, even though they suffered the injury of Gerald McCoy. But getting Ngakwe shores up two pass rushers, both 25 years old, and I know Ngakwe is not signed long-term as I'm recording this, but that's going to be the plan. It's going to be the plan for the Vikings, I am imagining, when you trade this kind of capital, is to lock him up long-term. And now you have two 25-year-old pass rushers who have been in the league for a lot of years. These players are no strangers to the league, despite their very young age. And Ngakwe, through his four-year career, has had 37 and a half sacks, 85 quarterback hits, 14 forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, nine pass breakups, and two picks for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So this is looking to be one of the better pass rushing duos for the foreseeable future at such a young age, if they can lock Yannick Ngakwe up to a long-term deal. And that's going to kind of be the entire, I guess, how you're going to judge this whole trade, is if they can lock him up. Because reportedly, the Jaguars offered him $19 million a year, and he just did not want to be in Jacksonville whatsoever. He turned down that $19 million per year, which would have put him at around Von Miller type of money at the age of 25. I mean, that's nuts, because he probably would have gotten another contract. They say if he signed a five-year deal, would have been until he was 30. He'd still be, you know, presumably he'd be in football shape at 30. But he turned that deal down because he did not want to be with Jacksonville. That's 19 mil a year. I mean, that's slightly behind Frank Clark, who's at 20 mil a year. Demarcus Lawrence is at 21 mil a year. Khalil Mack is at 23 mil a year. And Miles Garrett, who just signed this summer before that contract was pitched to Ngakwe, he's at 25 million per year. So that edge market, that pass rush market goes up because Yannick Ngakwe loved the player as a pass rusher. He's not that great against the run. He's not a total liability, but he makes his bones rushing the passer in passing situations. And that's how he got eight sacks in 2016 and 12 and a half the next year and nine and a half in 2018. And then this past year, he had eight and basically told Jacksonville, went out on social media and said, look, I want nothing to do with this franchise. Maybe he was expecting a better long-term deal to kind of reset the market. That didn't actually materialize. And it was just kind of writing on the wall at this point with Yannick Ngakwe and the Jacksonville Jaguar. And we've seen the dispute on Twitter between Tony Khan and Yannick Ngakwe, who's a co-owner for the Jacksonville Jaguars, with Ngakwe basically saying, trade me. I don't want to be here. Trade me. And it kind of got ugly, but the Jacksonville Jaguars did not want to trade him for a bag of peanuts. They wanted significant compensation, and they felt like the Vikings offered that significant compensation, at least with the two and then that conditional pick. And, you know, if you're a Jags fan, I guess you're hoping for the Vikings to win Super Bowl so you could possibly get a three in 2022. But from the Vikings' perspective, it with their lack of experience in the secondary, you really need to make sure you have a potent pass rush. And they were able to go out, get Ngakwe, pair him with Daniel Hunter to get that potent pass rush, take the pressure off the secondary a little bit. And you know they're going for that NFC North title. I mean, that's a pretty good division. The Bears, we don't know what they have at quarterback whatsoever. The Lions are the Lions. But then you got the Packers, who I think are in for a bit of a regression this coming season, but it's still going to be a competitive division in a competitive conference in the NFC. And as for 
the Jacksonville Jaguars, you just got to collect capital and try to nail the draft. You just got to try to do that because, I mean, you, you did so on the defensive side of the football when you had Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack, who you still have. Calais Campbell, your, your team was just absolute made up of studs. And you almost get to the Super Bowl, but you can't get past the Patriots in that AFC Championship game, which honestly seems like forever ago at this point. But as for Ngakwe, it looks like the Vikings are going to restructure a one-year contract for him and the hopes they're going to come to a long-term agreement next season because the team only has $13 million in cap space around that number, and the franchise tag is about $17.8 million. So I'm not sure if Ngakwe is going to be playing on that unless they do some significant moving around of money. And as of right now, Sunday evening, they're planning on restructuring a one-year contract. So that's what's probably going to happen so it seems like it's a little bit of a pay cut to get out of Jacksonville but Ngakwe considered that a toxic situation and he's able to go to a much better situation where he has a realistic shot and not the first overall pick in the draft but a Super Bowl with the Minnesota Vikings I think there are a lot of teams that will be in contention for the Super Bowl there's a lot of parity in the NFL the Vikings wouldn't be a top five choice of mine but I'm not going to totally rule them out either and before we get into some more news and notes from around the National Football League let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. So despite winning the NFC East last season, 2019, the Eagles can't catch a break really at the end of that season when it came to injuries, nor can they catch a break right now in training camp. Andre Dillard, who was supposed to be their starting left tackle, suffered an injury. He was drafted in the first round back in 2019 out of Washington State. Tore his biceps. He will be out for the rest of the season, which is devastating because they lost Brandon Brooks not long ago, earlier in training camp, and they signed Jason Peters to replace him. Now, Jason Peters is a longtime Philadelphia Eagle who was their left tackle. Now he struggles to stay healthy. He's a bit long in the tooth for sure. And he's supposed to play their guard position where Brandon Brooks was going to play on the right side of the line of scrimmage. But he tore his Achilles and is out. And now reportedly Jason Peters is looking to get a bigger contract in order to play left tackle because he only signed a $1.8 million base salary for this season with a $1 million signing bonus. Now he can earn up to $6 million with certain incentives. And those incentives could possibly mean a move to tackle. But they have to totally agree on that. I think it's going to go over fine. Peters has been a part of this organization for quite a while now. So I don't expect there to be any kind of weird situation between Howie Roseman and that front office with Jason Peters. I'm sure they're just going to pay him and hope that he can stay healthy this season for the Philadelphia Eagles. And they're really going to need it. And this affects Miles Sanders a little bit. It affects the potency of that offense because you did lose Brandon Brooks, who is one of the top four offensive guards in football. He's that good. And now you lost Andre Dillard, who was solid last year in his time on the football field. So it's a big blow for the Philadelphia Eagles. And there were other injuries too that we're going to have to monitor for fantasy reasons, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, this is training camp. A lot of people have been playing injured, getting injured. One, Bears running back David Montgomery is out for two to four weeks with a groin injury. Now, David Montgomery was drafted out of Iowa State, the Cyclones, last year, and he received a lot of work from the Bears, but he did not produce well in terms of fantasy production. And that's something that a lot of fantasy players are pretty pissed off about, to be honest. He received a ton of work within the five-yard line and just could never really get home. You have Mitch Trubisky as your quarterback. Your offensive line is subpar. They have a couple young pieces like James Daniels and guys who are interesting, 
but they haven't proven it yet at the NFL level. So it looks like the Bears, they could go out and sign Devonta Freeman. Doesn't seem like they've reached out and done that quite yet. At least I haven't heard anything about it. But the Bears have Tariq Cohen, who is the five foot five scat back, incredibly lightning quick. Looks like he's on a super joystick on some kind of Nintendo 64 or something along those lines because he is incredibly exciting to watch. They're going to use him in the passing game. They're going to use him sparingly, I think, in the rushing attack. But Cordero Patterson is somebody that they signed and brought in. And Cordero Patterson has played running back before. We remember when he was a running back for the New England Patriots. So maybe they're going to use him in that role for a little bit if Montgomery can't get back by week one, which it doesn't seem like he will be. They might use a little mixture of Tariq Cohen and Cordero Patterson because they don't really have anybody else on this roster. They have Ryan Nall, who's a productive rookie out of Oregon State, so maybe he'll get a crack at some carries if he really proves himself, but you're hearing that Cordero Patterson is being utilized as a running back in camp here and there, so it's definitely a situation to monitor for fantasy purposes. Montgomery is going to slide and slide and slide, and if you can get him at extreme value, like we're talking ninth round, I'll definitely take my shots there because if he comes back healthy, I think he's going to be at least get the opportunity. You just hope that his skill set will be able to translate to fantasy points, and that's not something that he really was able to do at a high rate last year. We also have Joe Mixon, who's missing practice due to migraines right now. Definitely something to monitor. Keep it in mind when you're drafting in that Tier 1 range of running backs. I should say Tier 2, definitely not Tier 1, but that end of Round 1, early Round 2 range where you've got the Kenyon Drakes and the Austin Ecklers and the Aaron Joneses and the Josh Jacobs if he's still around. Nixon is dealing with some migraines, and there are some rumblings about a new contract as well. And we also know the Bengals love Giovanni Bernard in passing situations. So I'm not sure if that role will significantly increase this year like a lot of us are hoping for Joe Mixon. But the migraines, the new contract, those those rumblings about it, it's all kind of hearsay at this point. A lot of beat reporters talking about it, but nothing that's definitive that he's going to hold out or anything ridiculous. Still something to monitor, especially with the migraines. Obviously, everything with football and head injuries that really needs to be taken seriously. We also have Mike Williams, the wide receiver for the Los Angeles Chargers, who's dealing with a shoulder injury. Suffered it in practice. Will be out around four weeks. I feel like Mike Williams is always playing through some sort of injuries, more of a vertical downfield threat. This is going to mean there's going to be some more targets for Hunter Henry, some more targets for Keenan Allen, but it doesn't seem like a lot of us, at least for fantasy purposes, are overly enthused by a Tyrod Taylor-led passing attack out there in Los Angeles. But I still think Keenan Allen can be had at a value. In some cases, he's sliding to like the end of the fifth round, the sixth round. I think that's a little steep in 12-team leagues, to be honest. But Mike Williams leaving will open up more targets for Eckler, for especially, in my opinion, Hunter Henry. And then there will be Keenan Allen, who should be seeing a lot of the number one cornerbacks and he plays some top level number one cornerbacks which kind of carries a little bit of pause but Keenan Allen's an excellent player in his own right we also have Nick Bosa who's dealing with a lower leg soft tissue injury as well I mean an absolute stud 22 years old rookie season had nine sacks last season he might be available for week one I'm sure he will be at least I'm sure he will be available for the early season matchup against the New York Giants but he's an incredibly talented pass rusher dealing with some soft tissue stuff at the moment so yeah we have all these injuries being floated around which is unfortunate man it really is but it's a true nature of football football's a violent game played by incredible athletes who run at high speeds but even soft tissue injuries happen all the time we also have another contract that happened as zach cunningham who signed with the texans 
He signed a four-year, $58 million extension worth about $14.5 million per year. It's great for this kid. I mean, he's only 25 years old. I don't know what it is about 25-year-olds getting paid and getting new contracts and getting traded, but he was a second-round pick out of Vanderbilt back in 2017, and I remember that draft. I really wanted the Giants to target him because of his productive ability and his just rare type of build. And it's funny because they ended up drafting someone like Cam Brown. It was a similar build, but Cunningham coming out of that draft, 34 and 38 inch arms, which is 96 percentile. He's six foot three, 234 pounds, ran a four, six, seven, and his explosive drills were really good as well. Dropped the 35 in the vert, which is solid, but then 125 inches in the broad jump, which is over 90th percentile. So I really liked Cunningham coming out of the draft, but Giants didn't go in that direction, which is fine, but now he ends up inking this deal with the Houston Texans. I mean, through these years, at least last season, he had 142 tackles, two sacks, two passes defense, started all 16 games. Over the past three seasons before that, he had 339 tackles, 13 passes defense, and three and a half sacks. So he's a very talented dude. He gets to pair up with Benardrick McKinney and Whitney Merciless to kind of form one of the better linebacking trios in the national football league and can do a lot of different things they're versatile players so that's good for him he's able to get his money and not become a free agent at the end of this season so he has that kind of luxury to not be playing in this am i going to get injured do i play to preserve myself kind of range with some players kind of fall into but he ends up getting his long-term deal and you know what at 25 years old he'll be a free agent at 29 if he continues playing and ascending as a player he's going to get another big contract when there's going to be more money in the NFL. So that's another excellent part of this for him. The 49ers now, they signed a player from yesteryear named Kevin White. Yes, a lot of people remember Kevin White because back in 2015, he was the seventh overall pick by the Chicago Bears. It was a big argument back in the 2015 draft. Who is the number one wide receiver coming out? Is it Amari Cooper or is it Kevin White? And the Raiders selected the first receiver, Amari Cooper, before Kevin White was selected. Still, in the top 10 back in 2015 and he just never lived up to that elite athleticism that he had at West Virginia he was highly regarded highly athletic he just could never stay healthy on the field and he only ended up playing 14 games for the Bears he only had 25 catches for 285 yards and never found the end zone in a regular season game now that's very bust like for a first round pick but the guy is still relatively young. He's a Jersey guy. He's 28 years old, and he hasn't been in the league since 2019. Now, it's going to take a lot for him to, I guess, crack this roster, but a lot of things are happening to the health of a lot of the wide receivers on the San Francisco 49ers. Debo Samuel, probably he may start on the pup. Hopefully he'll be ready for the beginning of the season. He had an off-season foot surgery, had a foot injury that's healing right now. And Brandon Ayuk, their first-round pick out of Arizona State, he had a hamstring injury that's been lingering through camp. They lost Jalen Hurd back in the very beginning parts of training camp for the season with a torn ACL. So they've had a lot of injuries to this position. If we remember, they have Trent Taylor, who's like a five foot seven slot type of guy who's been earning praise around camp. Then they have Dante Pettis, the curious case of Dante Pettis, drafted him in the second round out of Washington. A lot of people liked him coming out of the draft. He had a solid rookie campaign, and then he just found himself in the dog house of Kyle Shanahan heading into his sophomore campaign. A lot of people picked him to be a breakout candidate for fantasy football, and he was the exact opposite and could barely even dress for games. 
Can't be a great sign that they went out and got Kevin White, but they got him on the absolute cheap, an absolute flyer. They still have Kendrick Bourne on the roster, who's an underrated type of wide receiver who ends up actually being somewhat productive in really, really deep fantasy leagues every year. They also still have Richie James and Tavon Austin, who they also signed this past offseason. But these Kyle Shanahan offenses are, are pretty unique. They don't really focus on targeting one person specifically. They really spread out their targets in the red zone. I mean, last year, no one had six touchdowns receiving. George Kittle had five, Kendrick Bourne had five, and then Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders both had three. And then we had guys like Ross Dwelly and even Dante Pettis had two, Raheem Mostert had two. So they like to spread the ball out and be very unpredictable in terms of what they're going to do in the red zone. And Kyle Shanahan is a perfect guy to do that because he is a brilliant offensive mind who is incredibly creative on how he employs his offense especially down there in that red zone so see if kevin white can crack the roster you know he hasn't proven anything quite yet but anything is possible moving on to some other nfl news and this is uh i guess you could say somewhat funny because it has to do with the new york jets so on wednesday miami came out and said that they were going to release Kalen Balaj, who is a running back that was drafted in the fourth round back when Adam Gase was the head football coach for the Miami Dolphins. And that was in 2018. And in that year, so let's give him his credits. A lot of people are kicking him while he's down. But in that season, the one season that he played with Adam Gase, he had 36 rushes for 191 yards and a touchdown. Now that is 5.3 yards per attempt. And he also had 11 targets, 9 catches for 56 yards. But last year, not under Adam Gase, Kalen Balaj had one of the worst, most inefficient football seasons in NFL history. The guy had 74 rushes and had 135 yards for three touchdowns. It's a 1.8 yard per carry average. Now, I know the team was bad. But that is historically inefficient and not good whatsoever. And why do I bring all this up? I bring all this up because the Dolphins said that they were going to release this man. And then later on that day, it turns out the Jets traded a seventh-round pick for Kalen Balaj, a player that was going to be released. And Adam Gase wanted to get his guy from Miami back there. And that. Just to me, I don't know what's going on with Adam Gase and Le'Veon Bell. I know there's little snipes on Twitter where there are reports saying that Le'Veon Bell's hamstrings are tight. And then Le'Veon Bell comes out on Twitter and quote tweets it and is like, nah, man, my hamstrings are great. It seems like Adam Gase never really wanted Le'Veon Bell. And I know that was reports that kind of came out about Mike McCagnan, the old Jets general manager, giving him the contract, giving Bell this contract and... Gaze coming in and not necessarily wanting to allocate that kind of money towards the running back position. Now it seems like it's always been this contentious, unnatural kind of fit with Le'Veon Bell and Adam Gase. Then you bring in the Frank Gore effect, where Adam Gase is praising Frank Gore. Praising him says that he looks like the same guy that he was 12 years ago. Saying all this kind of stuff, and it looks like it might be a 60-40 kind of split between Le'Veon Bell and Frank Gore, who is the age of Methuselah. That's ridiculous because Le'Veon Bell is still a relatively young running back. He's 28 years old, had a year off from football, so his body is should be in ripe condition, especially when you see the picture of his abs popping out of the Instagram page that you're on. 
So it looks like he's in ridiculous shape, but just doesn't seem like that relationship is good. But then Gase goes out and he trades a pick for Kalen Balaj at this running back position that seems pretty filled up with a guy who used to be a complete stud. It's just an odd situation, but the funniest part of the situation, not for Kalen Balaj, of course, was that the poor guy failed his physical and reverts back to the Miami Dolphins, a team that was going to cut him anyway. Balaj had a pre-existing hamstring injury that he's not over with yet. So he goes back to the Dolphins, presumably to be cut. And I don't know if he, where he'll land. I mean, he's still a very young guy. So I'm sure he'll get a shot somewhere despite his terrible 2019 campaign. But for Le'Veon Bell, man, for fantasy, it just doesn't give me a warm and fuzzy that your head coach, the guy who dictates whether you're getting snaps or not, is praising Frank Gore, is trying to trade for Kalen Balaj, and is sort of poo-pooing everything you do. And it also doesn't help that Bell takes to Twitter and then Adam Gase comes out and he's like, I was taken off guard by Bell's comments on Twitter, which was basically the fact that he was like, I'm ready to play right now. That's what Le'Veon Bell's saying. I should be out there practicing, getting as many reps as possible, getting my body and myself ready for this season, but that's not happening. It's just very, very contentious. It is not a great situation, especially for fantasy as well. I don't really know exactly what to do about that because Adam Gase has shown that he hasn't maximized running backs in the past with his time with the Miami Dolphins and it doesn't seem like him and Leth have the best relationship and Bell seems like he's done a lot of things correctly since he arrived in New York he speaks very high about being a New York Jet he kind of went after Jamal Adams after Adams was disrespecting the team and left to go be a Seattle Seahawk but for whatever reason just doesn't seem like Adam Gase and Le'Veon Bell are meant to be together in some other NFL news we have multiple teams that just keep coming out saying they will not have fans in the stadium. As of right now, I want to say it's 20 teams. The Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills just came out and said that they will not be having fans in the stands for the beginning of the season and they're going to monitor it. But there is one team. There is one team that really wants to have fans in the stadium. And it's good old Jerry Jones and those Dallas Cowboys. Get your damn act together. You're set. Okay. Okay, okay, Jerry, take it easy there. We're just stating that you're not opposed to possibly having fans in the stands, which is your prerogative. But if the NFL has a situation where some teams are able to have home field advantage with fans and others are not, that creates such a significant competitive advantage for the teams that are going to have fans in the stands (laughs) that it cannot be viewed in a fair lens, in my opinion. There has to be something that the teams or that the NFL can do to mitigate that from being a fact. And I know there's so many economical aspects to this that I don't know if something would be done because just be if a state allows you to have fans in the stands economically, you want those fans there because it's going to mean so much more money and so much more revenue for those teams. But the competitive advantage can't be overlooked either. But hey, something's going to happen with this. A lot of teams are coming out saying that they're not going to have fans in the stands. Again, it's 20, but you still have 32 teams in this league. You have 12 that have not come out and said that. I know Texas, I know they've come out. Jerry Jones has come out and said, absolutely, we're excited about having fans in the stands. Texas governor has given the green light for this, and obviously there will be stipulations, masks will be required for entry. There'll be limited stadium capacity and social distancing measures with seating blocks and things like that. Everything will be mobile or online cashless kind of payments. And there will be designated tailgate locations as well at the stadium. So it might happen for the Dallas Cowboys. It definitely gives the team some sort of competitive advantage. But 
teams in the NFL, they're not going to take away anything from that bottom line to kind of fix that competitive advantage, nor do I really kind of chastise them for it, but it's definitely apparent that there would be an advantage for home teams that actually have fans in their stands altering the feeling in the stadium. And we just had some breaking news as I check the Twitter sphere, and it turns out that Derwin James seems like he's going to miss significant time just today, which is Sunday. He suffered a meniscus injury. There's not a lot of news out right now, but this is devastating for one of the most talented athletes on the defensive side of the football who had his entire sophomore campaign basically derailed by a foot injury, but he really balled out in his rookie season. This is a safety hybrid second level defender type out of Florida State. It was a first round pick, fell to 17 to the Chargers and He's just such a difference maker, somebody who can kind of help eliminate Travis Kelsey and the George Kittle types because he's excellent in coverage, in man coverage, very, very physical against the run, just incredibly long and instinctive, excellent ball skills. So this is a huge loss for Gus Bradley in that Chargers defense out on the West Coast. So, I mean, hopefully it's not as bad. Hopefully it's just a tweak, something that might need to be cleaned up and he won't miss the entire season. Hopefully it's not a full-on tear. Don't have as much information on that right now, but that is a devastating loss to the Los Angeles Chargers. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for listening to Filato on Football. Tune in to Filato's Fantasy Corner this Friday. The drafts are coming up, and we're going to have some quality content coming this Friday. We've gone through the rankings. We want to go through some more ADP, risers, fallers, a lot of stuff like that. Okay, I'll be here every Monday, be here every Friday for you to listen and enjoy. So please rate, subscribe, review the podcast, and have a lovely, lovely safe day. Take care.